Okay, we, we know we have lots of cancellations um, this, because of this pandemic that we were hoping to do. Lots of travel, lots of school events, lots of concerts, sporting events. Man, we missed March Madness. We missed the Masters. We missed the uh, opening day of Major League Baseball. Hopefully that's going to come at some point. But we're okay, aren't we? The Lord sustained us through all of those kind of cancellations because we know hope has not been canceled. And so, last week we, we looked at an Easter passage and instead of canceling Easter, we got to do that drive-in church style. And uh, this week we're going to do Easter again. We're not going to cancel, we're going to double up on it because I think resurrection and Easter is more relevant than it's ever been. People are sitting up and paying attention, are they not? To the things that really matter in life. And churches are growing actually during this period of time online. It's a different sort of, of growth, but like 49% of churches, either 75, 750, 7,500, all different sizes are growing uh, because of this. In fact, we uh, last Sunday we had uh, about 120 cars driving in church. If you have about three a person in those cars, and some of them had fewer, some of them had more, uh, but we'll just let's just say 2.5. We had about 300 people there driving in church last week, and 2,300, 2,500 uh, Facebook live views and. Uh, people going to YouTube, it's, it's exciting to see what God is doing and how the gospel is getting proclaimed even in the midst of this pandemic. Because we know we have a hope that people need and want to hear about. So today we're going to do that again. Remember, uh, last week we looked at uh, the two on the road to Emmaus and how they were so hopeless. Because they thought all their hopes had been crushed. But by the end, their hopes hadn't been crushed. Their hopes in the Messiah had been exceeded. We remember uh, as they were looking for the Messiah, and as they had encountered the incognito Christ there, that they were talking about Jesus, and then they were talking to Jesus about how Jesus had disappointed them. And then they were listening to Jesus talk about Jesus from the Old Testament and declaring all of what the Old Testament declared about the Messiah. And then something happened. Hope happened. They recognized that Jesus was alive. And then they go from hopeless to hopeful, to so full of hope that they could not be silent anymore and they run back to Jerusalem to declare their hope in the risen Christ. So today we're going to look at, at Mary Magdalene and how she too is hopeless. She's so distraught because of all that's taken place and they had now not only taken the life of her Lord, but they had taken His body in Mark 16. There's also a parallel passage in John 20. You might want to look at John 20, verses 11 through 18, as we talk about Mary Magdalene in just a little bit. But I, I want to, to recount just a little bit how we have a, such an advantage over those first believers. Because we know that the crucifixion turns into the resurrection. We had that knowledge already. They didn't. 
when Jesus died, their hope died. When we think about what they were, were going through, uh, when Jesus died, there, were, there was no more Christianity because there was no, no Christ. The, there was nobody believing in the Messiah anymore. There was nobody believing that He was the, the Son of God, nobody believing that He was the Savior of the world anymore because Saviors don't die. And in the midst of what we're going through, there's lots of confusion and fear, uneasiness for sure, and and disappointment. But we know in the midst of all of that that He's still alive. And He is going to use this situation if we'll let him. Oh, I hope we're not the same. I don't want to go back to business as usual after this. I, I want to be on task. I want to be involved in his plans, expanding his kingdom and bringing him glory more than we've ever done that as a church before. Think about all the opportunities that we have because people are now open to the gospel. People who were busy before chasing other things. Those things have been canceled. But again, not hope. Hope has not been canceled. Even though it seems as though for those two on the road to Emmaus it has and for Mary Magdalene it has. Remember, she comes to the tomb early in the morning and Matthew tells us, John tells us as well in his account that it's still dark. And it's not dark just because uh, the sun hasn't risen, the S-U-N hasn't risen, but she doesn't know that the S-O-N has risen either. And her whole life had been changed by him. We don't know a lot about her, but what we do know is that he cast out seven demons from her. Luke 8 tells us that. The longer ending to the Gospel of Mark, which is not in the oldest manuscripts, most reliable manuscripts, tells us the same thing, that he cast out seven demons. Now, I don't know what those demons were like or what her life was like. I think the, the choice, or what is that called? The, the chosen? Yeah, the chosen. It does a pretty good job of, of connecting how Jesus cast out those demons in, in a kind of a dramatic sort of fashion. But where she had no hope in her life, Jesus touched her. And now, she's back to that spot of having no hope because Jesus isn't present. Or so she thinks. Remember? She too encounters the incognito Christ. She doesn't recognize him when he's right there. She thinks he's the gardener. And I guess that's a great sort of thought. He has planted every redwood that's ever been uh, reaching toward the sky, every towering oak, every little flower he's responsible for growing. He, 
He is, in a sense, the gardener. But she's wondering, where's his body? When his body is right there with her. He fulfills his promises. He's come back to life just as he told her and everyone else who would listen to his disciples that he was going to do. That's what gives us great hope during this time is that we know he keeps his promises. He does what he says he's going to do. So let's look at this passage for just a moment. In Mark 16, 1 through 7, Saturday evening, when the Sabbath ended, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, went out and purchased burial spices so they could anoint Jesus' body. Now, why is that important? Well, they want, want, want to do one more act of devotion for him. They want to make sure he has a proper burial. And so they're going to anoint his body, and they can't purchase those spices on Sunday morning early, so they purchase him after the Sabbath is over, late, later Saturday night. Now, they know where he's been buried. They were there at the cross, and they were watching as Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus take his body down off of the cross. In verse 47 of chapter 15, just before what we looked at, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where Jesus' body was laid. So they know they're in the right place. And very early, verse 2 of chapter 16, on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, again, John says, while it's still dark, they went to the tomb. And on the way, they were asking each other, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? They made all the preparations, except one. One very important preparation. They had nobody with them to roll away the stone. I think as we, we look at this, that's a very important detail here. Matthew tells us that there was an earthquake and that an angel came down and rolled away the stone and was sitting on top of it. That's the picture we have. Now, every one of us has had somebody roll away the stone so that we could recognize that Jesus is alive. Who's that somebody for you? For me, it was my mother. As a child, she helped me come to understand what Jesus had done and that he was alive, he was real, that the story of the resurrection was real and that I placed my faith in him as a very a young boy at the age of eight. You've got somebody like that. But here's a question I want to ask you. Who are you that somebody for? Who are you... An angel for, could you imagine you playing that sort of role where you roll away the stone so that people can recognize and understand who Jesus is and that He's alive and that He can be their Messiah, their Savior, their forgiver, their friend, their Father. Who can you do that for? That's what happens here. And but, verse 4 says, as they arrived, they looked up and saw that the stone, which was very large, they couldn't do it themselves, that was a great obstacle, but that obstacle was removed already. God took care of that. Had already been rolled 
aside. And when they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a white robe sitting on the right side. Most definitely, that's an angel. That's what the other gospels call him. But here, Mark calls him a young man. And the women were shocked. But the angel said, Don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, or Jesus the Nazarene, who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Look. This is where they laid the body. You've got the right place. You're looking for the right person. You don't see a body because he's not here, just like he said. Remember what Luke says, Why do you seek the living among the dead? Why are you looking for somebody that's alive in a, in a cemetery? And now, Mark says, Go and tell his disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. And you'll see him there. Just as he told you before he died. And the women fled from the tomb trembling and bewildered. And they said nothing to anyone because they were too frightened. Now, your Bible may say the most ancient manuscripts of Mark conclude right there, verse 16. I mean, verse 8 of, of chapter 16. Later manuscripts add one or both of the following endings. Maybe you have a longer ending there. Isn't that odd? That the most reliable manuscripts, I think that's what Mark intended, was to end right there. You know what's happened in this resurrection? Account. You know what's missing in Mark's resurrection account of Mary Magdalene? You see? In this account? No Jesus. No Jesus. We never see Jesus in Mark's account. Why is that? We know he's alive. We know the tomb is empty. We know that Mary Magdalene can have hope, but she doesn't yet. She's still maybe at that point of, of weeping as she is in John's Gospel. Why know Jesus? I think it's because Mark wants us to make our own ending, to make our own choice. There's some things going on here I want you to see. The, the, the first one, I... I uh, I've already said something about the first thing we, we, our first reason we have hope is because somebody rolled away the stone for us and we can do that for other people. Everybody needs somebody to roll away their stone and see that Jesus is alive. The second thing is Jesus keeps his promises and I, I want to share with you from Mark 8 that that occurrence where Jesus predicts his death. In Mark 8, 31, it's actually back in verse 29 of Mark 8, Peter confesses that Jesus is the Messiah. He asked him, them, who do you say I am? Jesus says to Peter, like he does in, in uh, Matthew as well, and in Luke as well, but who do you say that I am? And Peter replied, you're the one. You're the one we've been looking for. And Jesus does something here that he does all through uh, the gospel of Mark. 
It's called the messianic secret. He says, don't tell anybody. Jesus warned, do not tell anyone. He had done that when he cast out demons. He said, don't tell people who I am. He did that when he uh, raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. He said, don't tell anyone. Now, why in the world would Jesus want to keep all of that a secret? Because he's got this plan. And his time has not yet come. And, and so in, in this particular instance, as, as Peter declares he's the Christ, the Messiah, he says, don't tell anyone. But what he does is he begins to predict his death. In verse 31 of Mark 8, he says, Jesus began, or Mark writes, then Jesus began to tell them that the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things and be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of the law. He'll be killed, but three days later, he will rise from the dead. You know why we have hope? Because every time Jesus says he's going to do something, he does it. There are 7,000 promises in his word. There are 366 times that he says, do not be afraid. One for every day of the year, even leap year like this year. He says, we don't have to be afraid. We can trust in what he's done. And that's really the biblical definition of hope, remember? It is that God is faithful to do what he says he's going to do. We can have that confident assurance that he is not only uh, willing, but he is able to keep his promise. And Jesus said, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to be killed, but I'm going to rise again. And the resurrection is proof that everything else, all of his other promises, and like Paul would say, all the promises are yes in Jesus, it verifies everything he said, everything he taught, everything he did. We know we can have hope in the midst of these days. Because Jesus can be trusted. But this ending, let's back, go back there for just a moment. It's weird. At the very end, Jesus all through the gospel is saying, don't tell people who I am. And then at the end, after the messianic secret is revealed through the resurrection, the, the angels say, go and tell. Go tell the, the disciples. And Peter, including Peter. That's a great word of comfort for Peter, of restoration for Peter, remember? He just denied Christ. And now Jesus wants to make sure, and he's going to say it himself in the other Gospels, but the angel wants to make sure here that Peter knows he's invited to come back. Go tell them. And what do they do? What does Mary Magdalene and the other women do? When they're supposed to tell, they don't. All through the Gospels when Jesus said, don't tell, most of the time they did. Here, they're supposed to tell, and they don't. Why? Trembling and bewildered, they said nothing to anyone because they were scared, too frightened. 
had to be confused. Didn't know what was going on. But that's not the end of the story, is it? Eventually they go and tell. That's the end of Mark's story, but that's not the end of Mary Magdalene's story. Think about this for just a moment. That, that could be our ending, but that's an ending of, of still of, of, of hopelessness. Or this could be the ending. Matthew's ending. Jesus met them, said greetings, and they came to him, the women came to him, and they, in Matthew 28, 9 and 10, and they clasped his feet, and they worshipped him. So they go, Mary goes from weeping to worshiping. And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. So here, here it is. At the end of, of Matthew's gospel. We are reminded of this great truth that our failures and our fears can be turned to faith and to fruitfulness. We have the story of the resurrection because of these women, because of Mary Magdalene. They were the first ones to see. Now, we, that gives us a great verification. Women weren't allowed to testify in court. Women's testimony was never valid in those days. And if you were making up the story of the resurrection, you wouldn't use women as your primary witnesses. But we know it's true, don't we? He's alive. And we know also that Jesus' words to them, that we don't have to be afraid anymore. Give us great hope, no matter what we face. We, we think sometimes in these days, am I going to be okay? Is my family going to be okay? Does God know what's going on? Does God care about what's going on? It, it, is God hearing my prayers? It, how is God going to use all of this? And the answer to all of that is yes, and He knows what He's doing. And we don't have to be afraid. because We can put our hope in Jesus. I want you to hear uh, the words of a great preacher of yesterday. His name was uh, S.M. Lockridge. S.M. stood for Shadrach Meshach. He was an African-American preacher for 40 years at Calvary Baptist Church in, in San Diego, California. You probably heard uh, some of this. I won't be able to, to relate it quite as well as he did, but but it still communicates. And I want you to hear what he said about the risen Lord. He said He is enduringly strong. He is entirely sincere. He is eternally steadfast. He is immortally gracious. He is imperially powerful. He is impartially merciful. He is the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizons of the globe. He is God's Son. He is the sinner's Savior. He is the captive's ransom. He is the breath of life. He is the centerpiece of civilization. He stands in the solitude 
of Himself. He is august and He is unique. He is unparalleled and He is unprecedented. He is undisputed and He is undefiled. He is unsurpassed and He is unshakable. He is the loftiest idea in philosophy. He is the highest personality in psychology. He is the supreme subject in literature. And He is the fundamental doctrine of theology. He is the cornerstone and the capstone. He is the miracle of the ages. And He's my hope. Is He yours? When He says, fear not, He means it. And we can put our hope in Him. He is the hope that will not disappoint. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for these resurrection accounts. Lord, we believe that You are still alive and that You're moving and working in our day. And Lord, we want to be used by you. So help us, Lord. Help us not be afraid to speak up when it's time. Help us so experience the hope we have in the resurrection and the hope we have in you that it just overflows from our hearts, out of our mouths. And when people seem distraught and discouraged and and hopeless and hurting. Help us. Point them to you. Thank you, Lord, that you are as close as a prayer, admitting that we need you. We need a Savior because we're sinners. Believing that you died on the cross to take care of our sin choosing to follow you in these days and every day. It's in the power of your name and the power of the resurrection, I pray.